0: Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mekaitis.
1: Hello, and thanks so much for joining us here for episode 592 with Caroline Goiter. PeerLine has got a whole bunch of pro tips for how you can feel all the more comfortable and confident with your speaking and indeed even enter into an effortlessly confident flow state in your communications. So you'll learn one, the mindset shift that turns insecurity into confidence. Two, an easy way to make your voice more dynamic. And three, quick ways to boost your confidence before a meeting. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items that we've referenced here, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP592. Now here's Caroline's story. Caroline Goiter's global reputation as a speaker and voice coach is built on her warm, engaging, relaxed, and highly practical style and her expertise honed by her work with actors, teachers, broadcasters, and the corporate sector. She worked at the Central School of Speech and Drama as a voice coach for over 10 years before launching her own company. And she's regularly sought after by the media as an expert in her field, and her work has been featured on television and in numerous national and international newspaper articles. Her extremely successful TED Talk has over million views. Caroline has written three books. Her most recent, Find Your Voice, was released in January of 2020. Big thanks to Caroline for sharing her wisdom with us, and big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out Now, here's Caroline. Caroline, thanks for joining us here on the How To Be Awesome At Your Job podcast.
2: My pleasure, Pete. Looking forward to it.
1: Well, I'm looking forward to getting into it as well. And and I understand, you know, you've been in my shoes many times interviewing over 40 A-list actors. Any noteworthy stories that come to mind from that?
2: Oh, gosh. It was that book I wrote a few years back, and it was fascinating. And the thing that was so interesting was just... I how nervous all of them got about auditions and new gigs and new jobs. It was just a, a revelation that people like Helen Mirren get shaky hands when they have to make a speech because it made me feel, well, if that's okay for them, then it's okay for me too. It released me to be nervous <laughs> in lots of ways.
1: Well, yeah, you know, it's funny. That's exactly how I feel as you share that. It's like, whew, okay then, you know, it's okay. It doesn't mean there's something wrong with you. That's uh, how all of us, even the greats, are feeling. So that is handy. Thank you. Well, well could you share that? So you've done a lot of work and research and, and hands-on experience in, in this space. You know, Could you maybe tell us what's maybe the most surprising and fascinating discovery you've made about confidence and having it and finding it and, and not having it?
2: So, when I started out, I definitely thought that confidence was something kind of out there that some people had. You know, when I was training as an actor, I would look at people and you'd see that he had it and she had it. And I knew that I didn't. But 20 years on, I know when I see those people that they're just really present. They're just really in their bodies. They're just able to center themselves when they have to. And I know that. Everybody can learn that skill. And that's been the big revelation for me that confidence is not a birthright, it's a set of habits. And I wish I'd known that at 23, 21, when I started work. Even at
1: 30, I wish I'd known that. Confidence, ooh, that is good. Not a birthright, a set of habits, okay. And maybe for for people who think that they're doing it, they're fine when it comes to speaking or or being confident and and having gravitas or, or a voice. Uh, Could you just really lay it out for us in terms of what's at stake there in terms of when you've got those habits sort of well-developed and and are rocking and rolling and cruising and firing on those cylinders versus when you're you're kind of stumbling and and you haven't found your voice? What does it matter for the average professional?
2: Gosh, well, I've known those two zones. You know, I've known the zone of not feeling confident really well as a person. And I know that When I didn't feel confident in myself, I wasted a lot of energy worrying what people thought about me. I would worry that I was speaking too fast. I would worry that my voice was too thin. I would worry that I didn't have enough presence. And that takes your attention away from other people. You stop listening. And of course, what makes people effective in their jobs is that they are present and listening and able to tune in and be empathetic to others. Pretty much in any job that you do, that's the success factor. And when you're worried about yourself, you don't have bandwidth to pay attention to other people.
1: Yeah, there's a lot there. You're saying that your focus, instead of being on, oh my gosh, what's everybody thinking? How am I doing? You should be redirecting it towards serving and and being present. How does that work inside your head? So let's say you have the stage. Can you get really clear in terms of let's turn away from these sorts of thoughts running in our brain, that voice, and shift toward these other kinds of better thoughts and and focus areas.
2: Oh, so that's really interesting. And, And I think what I would say to that is it's an actor's training. And I learned a lot from actors, even though this is the theater of life we're talking about. An actor's training would say, actually, the thoughts are for rehearsal. The moment when you step out on stage and your stage could be a meeting or it could be a presentation Almost let go of your thoughts and and get into a flow state where you're really tuned into your body, your breath, what you can see in the room, someone's tone of voice. So it becomes a very sensory experience. And I think that's what performers are taught, that there's a moment where you prepare and then when you get into the stage, you just get present and you pay attention. And so it becomes It goes beyond thinking, and it becomes about flowing into a space. It's almost like diving into something.
1: All right. So it's not about thoughts at all, but rather sort of experience. So it sounds like you're saying, ideally, there wouldn't be much of an internal monologue, like, okay, now I'm about to say this. Now I should walk over here. Now I need to be really angry or or powerful or pause. But rather, your attention is pointed towards... oh, oh, that person seems interested. Exactly. Or that person is looking away. And, oh, I'm feeling there's excitement here as opposed to internal conversation.
2: Yes. And of course, there are moments where you might need to tweak it and someone might not get what you've just said about Q3 and, or you know, your budget for next year or whatever it is. And you might have to talk to yourself to tweak it. But when things are going well, just be in it. There's a lovely Greek word, which is kairos. And it means that it's the place in the armor where you can pierce it. And it's it's a bit of a kind of um, battle-heavy metaphor in a way, but it's the idea that it's the, it's being able to spot the moment. And whether you're pitching a big idea at work or or trying to influence a new client or whether you've got to get the boss on side, your ability to see that moment is everything.
1: Well, so now I'm imagining in, in the context of pitching... You know, I was just talking to someone about how I might kind of automate the process of getting Headsets to my guests. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm glad our, our, our audio is working out. Thank you. And then he said something like, oh, yeah, well, we have a program where we send headsets. You know, we, we call that our agent in a box program where we do this, this, this. And then I, I just I think I was just very explicit. It's like, oh, I love that. <laughs> like, so you've done this thing before in which you send individuals all the gear they need with some explanatory stuff. So that's just handled forever. And I don't have to think about it anymore, or keep making purchases on Amazon one at a time. It, it, and so in a way, I guess you didn't need to be too observant there because I said, oh, I love that. Uh, <laughs> but but I guess I'm, I'm imagining if I'm reading you right, that you're saying we can observe and witness those sorts of moments of of openness or interest or intrigue from the people we're, we're communicating with, and we should, should seize that
2: Exactly. And it we're basically nervous systems meeting each other. And the people who have the most success at work are ninjas at reading other people's nervous systems. When they get excited about a new product that's going to help them with their podcast or when they hold their breath because they think they haven't got enough budget or, or when they lean in because they're curious. Your ability to notice moment by moment what's happening in someone else's nervous system is what makes you good.
1: Okay. Well, there we have it how do we do that
2: (laughs) (laughs) the first rule is get present to yourself because until you are present to the shifts in your own nervous system you know what's my diaphragm doing how am i breathing oh my heart rate's going up you're not going to be able to notice it in someone else so get to know your own instrument get to know become self-aware tune into your own emotions and then you're going to be able to tune into someone else
1: Okay. And so then in a daily life kind of way, I'm just sort of doing my thing. Is there a particular process you recommend that we we do that check-in in in, in terms of, because I think it's quite possible, you know, to go hours or days at a time and and not actually really do that at all. (laughs) Just like, how do I really feel about this or or what's really going on here? So how do you recommend we we stop and, and make that happen?
2: Well, I've been the person who couldn't do this, right? So when I left Oxford Union, where I studied English, and I went to drama school, and when I got to drama school, here I was, this girl who'd spent a lot of time reading Shakespeare, I mean a lot, and I turn up at drama school and they go, you're in your head. And I think, what on earth are they talking about? And what they meant is that I was trying to process everything through my brain, through the internal dialogue. And the learning for me, which was quite a hard one, I have to say is that in order for me to be good on stage, in order for me to have presence, I had to learn more about my body and not my brain. And I agree with you that most people at work, we're all in Zoom jail at the moment, we'll get back to the real office jail eventually. We sit a lot, we tense our shoulders, we lean forward into our laptops, we lose our breathing, our hips get tight, we have too much coffee, we don't drink enough water, And then we kind of get into meetings and we wonder why it's not working. And the simple thing that you can do to become more self-aware is to just notice your body. Notice that it's not just carrying you around. Notice how you're breathing. Notice how you're standing. Adjust yourself. Go for a walk. Maybe do some yoga. Maybe go for a run. But just embody your whole self, not just your brain. And I wish I'd learned that in my first week at drama school rather than struggling through for five years
1: okay so notice your body and, and it sounds like it, we're getting real precise i guess like terms if i could say my right elbow itches right now yes and my neck is tense so i, I mean i'm so i'm just sort of internally noticing and articulating these things is that it? It's like, well, noted, moving on. <laughs> or, or, or what's the next step?
2: There's a yoga teacher called John Sturk who talks about, it, it all gets quite esoteric, but he talks about sensation rises from the ground up. So you can notice all the sensation from your feet upwards. And it meets consciousness, which comes down. And it's somewhere in the middle is thinking. And we spend a lot of time thinking, probably not very much time in consciousness and very little time in sensation. And for me, it was about becoming more present to sensation. And then I've also learned to meditate and do yoga and stuff and consciousness is something I'm only in the foothills of, but you know, that's an interesting one too.
1: That is intriguing in terms of splitting that into three segments, cause those are quite distinct from each other as, as I'm thinking, it like, okay, sensation, boom. There's, there's warmth in this cup. Thinking is like, okay, what's my next question here? Right, you know, it, and so then, but what is consciousness?
2: I I would probably pass you to John Sturck on that one. What is consciousness?
1: Let's make a small talk over here.
2: (laughs) I mean, we could start a PhD on this question. (laughs) I'll tell you in about 10 years when I've done some more meditation.
1: Well, I mean, I I suppose I have a, a pithy, succinct definition for consciousness. I guess maybe... One's experience of consciousness in this narrow context of that thing which is distinct from thinking and sensation, what is it kind of like when when you're in the consciousness mode? Because I know what it's like when I'm in the thinking mode and when I'm in the sensation mode, but what's it like when I'm in the consciousness mode?
2: Well, I was listening to one of your earlier podcasts and it gets into the Chick-Sent-Me-Harley flow state for me. I know when I'm present to consciousness because it becomes more, the field opens up. I'm tuned into the room in a bigger way. I'm not locked into my own, oh, you're an idiot. This is, I'm open to something bigger, something more connected. So that's my experience of consciousness, but... There are people who are way further down the path than me on this one.
1: Well, yeah, th- I think that's mission accomplished in terms of, of clarifying that question for me there. Because in terms of yeah, I, I know what that experience is like, and and it is distinct from okay, I'm thinking about some things now, and it is distinct from oh, you know, ooh, there's a there's a tickle you know in, in my throat. It's it's sort of like you are are conscious of what's going on (laughs) and and, and you're flowing in it, but it's kind of like, uh, boy, I guess I'm almost thinking about sort of like levels of abstraction there, you know, like they say, oh man, I'm thinking about my my professors. So they say, you know, hey, there's data, there's information and there's knowledge or something like that, you know, in terms of, we could say that data would suggest sales are $5 million dollars, and costs are $4 million. Information would be, oh, we have a gross profit margin percentage of 20% with 1 million profit over 5 million sales. And then knowledge would be like, oh, and that's good. <laughs> you know, Based on my experience and my industry and, and the comparables, yada, yada. And so these are sort of three different layers of wisdom, maybe you might say, just as these are three different layers of, of experience and, and consciousness is is higher in a way in that it's abstracting and encapsulating broad stuff underneath them. Caroline, I'm just thinking through this real time. I' it, comments or thoughts. <laughs>
2: I refer you to John Sturck and his new book. It's fascinating because it made me think how much I had to learn sensation in order to dissolve my thinking and in order to access a bigger field, to be in the room, not just locked away in my head. And for me, coming through the body through sensation was the way to dissolve the thinking.
1: Well, you know, it's it's funny because in a way, what we're talking about is is a smidge abstract and yet... I think I, experientially, I maybe feel, (laughs) as opposed to just thinking, exactly what you're saying there, in that...
2: And there's a really simple way, there's a really specific, to, to make it not abstract, actors will say when they get on stage, feel your feet on the floor, feel the air on your face, feel the clothes on your skin, see something across the space that you haven't noticed before... So although it is quite abstract in some ways, in other ways, it's just incredibly practical.
1: And in doing those things, you are exiting your thinking mode. And as a result of having exited it, you may well uh, be on your way to the, the consciousness flow mode.
2: Exactly, exactly.
1: Okay, cool. Well, I mean, that, that that's huge right there, is that we're gonna take some moments uh, throughout the day and, and just before a big performance times to to check in and, and sort of get the sensation going. What else do you recommend we do in terms of getting those confidence habits working for us?
2: The thing I'm noticing a lot at the moment with people in busy work lives is that they're saying to me, my voice is tired at the end of the day. I feel really flat. I feel really compressed. And there's so much of our lives right now, you know, whether we're working at home or back in the office, that takes us into a bit of a hunch and it closes our breathing down and it compresses us. And then when we try and show up in a meeting, we're all small and hunched and closed. And so one of the things that people can really do to help them at work is to open up their breath and open up their voices. And I'm saying to people a lot at the moment, just sing. (laughs) You know put some music on in the morning and sing for five minutes and just enjoy it and it doesn't have to be tuneful and you will show up at your meetings with a different kind of resonant frequency because your voice isn't stuck in your throat it's moving it's fluid it has tone it has resonance and people will be attracted to that because it makes them feel good.
1: Okay, so in a world in which we're, we're kind of hunched over and we, we don't have ergonomically a, an optimal setup and we're just sort of, you know, moving from from thing to thing to thing and, and maybe even trying to watch our volumes, <laughs> you say we can sort of shift the gear by doing some singing when we're alone and that's just going to kind of follow us into having resonance when we're we're with people.
2: The thing about voice is, voice is the expression of your aliveness because... Voice is breath. It's exhaled air. And when we get really tense and compressed, we express a real fight-or-flight um, adrenal reaction to people in our voices, in our breathing. And singing, humming, chanting, long out-breaths, all of those things take us into good vagal tone. And in good vagal tone, where the vagus nerve is you know, firing on all cylinders... We show up, we smile when others smile. We laugh when others laugh. Our voices reflect and mirror each other. And the experience of speaking when we've warmed up just by singing, it's completely different for people. They feel at ease with you. And I think there's nothing more important in a tense, stressed out world than making people feel at ease with you.
1: Well, let's dig into some of these terms, which I'm somewhat familiar in terms of resonance and and vagal nerve. Uh, Are are these sorts of anatomical... Experiences that that we can sort of check in for ourselves, like oh, I, I could feel my vagal nerve uh, rocking and rolling, or ooh, I could feel resonance, or I ooh, I'm feeling an absence of resonance. How do we kind of? You mentioned those are some exercises to activate it. How can we sort of check in and say, yep, that's that's going, or ooh, that's not going?
2: Well, you know, the the way that people often test this is when they hear themselves on audio, and people will often say, oh, I really hate my voice, and what that tells me is that someone hears their own voice through their ears. They don't really have an accurate sense of it. But when you're tuned into your resonance, you're tuned into the buzz of your voice. And people who are tuned into how their voices feel, back to the sensation thing, are much more in control. Now, how do you do that? Just If you just put a hand on your chest and just hum, just do me a little... Then mm, mm. you can feel the bones kind of buzzing in your body. And you could do a lower note. You could go. Mm, Maybe put a hand on your tummy. Mm. And you might do a higher note. Mm. That's going to be higher up in your head, in your nose. Mm. And so you can just play with, you could even do a pitch glide. Mm. And the sound the high notes resonate in your head, the low notes resonate in your gut, the middle notes resonate in your chest. We know this from altos and tenors and basses. You know, we know that some people have chest voice. And if you start to tune in to the sensations of where your voice buzzes in your body, A, you're much more in your body, less in your head, and B, you're going to have more control. And when you hear your voice on a recording, it's not going to be such a shock because you can feel it. So that's resonance.
1: Okay, and so resonance, we we want it, and and so a humming can can activate it, and so we might even just check in as we're as we're talking, and maybe could you give us a demo? I mean, in terms of audio style, what's a voice sounding like with resonance and without resonance?
2: So I can tell you how I used to sound. All right. If I stick my head forward, and if I breathe into my upper chest, and if I tense my jaw. And if I talk to you and it all becomes a bit flat and I can really feel it, I can feel it in my teeth and I can feel it in my pharynx and in my throat. And it's an experience of being a talking head. Okay, so I spent a a long time doing a version of that. And, you know, I'm no Brian Blessed. I don't know if you know that actor. He's got the most incredible bassy voice. You know, I'm no Barry White. But when I speak now, what's different is that I... I can feel my voice kind of buzzing in my chest and my shoulders. It feels more open in my throat. I can feel it a bit in the back of my head. And I know that if I had to, you know, do a play, which I wouldn't anymore, I would spend half an hour warming it up so that my fingers buzzed with sound when I spoke. So it's like, um, it's just the physics of it. It's, it's the bone conduction. It's, it's feeling the effect of sound buzzing through your bones, really. That's
1: what resonance is. Well, and, and what's so interesting is, and we'll see what the listeners feel in terms of their own speaker setup after we do the audio processing, et cetera. But I guess my experience though, of listening to both of those voices is that when you were non resident I felt a little bit, I guess, I don't know, was it nervous, uncomfortable? It wasn't a big deal, but it was there was a slight unpleasantness that I'm picking up from the emotional atmosphere when when you were doing that. Is that normal? Tell me about this.
2: <laughs> I think it is because as humans we're wired for trust, aren't we? We are constantly filtering. Can I trust this person? Will they eat me? Will they rob me? Will they attack me? Or, you know, are, am I safe with them? So if we we talk about the vagus nerve now, because this is when we get onto polyvagal theory. There's a scientist called Stephen Porges who talks about something called polyvagal theory. And it sounds really complicated, but it's actually really simple. What he says is, when we're tense and nervous, it's like we're closed behind a wrapper. And that voice that I used to live in is the voice of someone who's tense and hiding behind a wrapper. And we feel uncertain about that because we don't know if we can trust them. And he says, when we have what's called good vagal tone where we're in the parasympathetic nervous system, the rest and digest happy part of the system, then we take the wrapper off. And that's when our voices have music, that's when we smile, that's when things are easy. And that's when someone gets a sense of, can I trust you? And I think as humans, we're wired to notice those things. And we don't know maybe why we get worried by the first voice, but we do. I think it's universal.
1: That's cool in so many ways one that just sort of the experience we had right here points to you know a body of 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 research and well now i'm curious about all the the studies and experiments and numbers that that may exist in, in terms of describing this phenomenon so with the research associated with good vagal tone and the impact that makes have there been any noteworthy sort of studies or experiments that put these results on full display
2: I would point listeners to Stephen Porges' website and his book, The Polyvagal Theory, because there's an enormous and emerging body of research that backs up his theory, and it's all on his site. So just have a look at – just put Stephen Porges, P-O-R-G-E-S, into Google and have a look. They're constantly reporting new studies, and it's being picked up in psychology and psychiatry and trauma therapy – it's becoming quite a big body of work with lots
1: of attached research. Well, but it's so fascinating. I mean, I'm sure there could be many variables, but it sounds like we un covered one potential hidden variable for all kinds of things like, why does everybody like that person and, and they don't like the other person? Why does everyone seem to respond and nod their heads when one person says something at a meeting when someone else says the same thing? <laughs> this doesn't seem to be connecting or resonating. This could be one of those hidden mystery variables that could shed some light on it. Now you mentioned the phrase good vagal tone. Is that the same thing as, as having resonance or is there a distinction and, and how do we get it?
2: So I only ever really knew about resonance and the importance of the diaphragm and the importance of breathing. And it was when I discovered polyvagal theory and how much Stephen Porges talks about voice that I joined the dots on it. And in a sense, it really all comes back to what our bodies do when they're safe. And when our bodies are safe, our breathing opens up, our diaphragm moves freely, our shoulders relax, our jaw untenses, our tongues relax, our, you know, our psoas muscle in the hips relax and we show up as easy and fluid and present. That's what good voice is. You know, that's what actors are taught to do on stage. And it just so happens that Stephen Porges' polyvagal theory backs up why it works for voices. Because when we're safe, our voices have music.
1: Wow. So many implications there. I'm reminded of, of, of a we, we had a Previous guest Alex Bedayan, who interviewed a lot of people, including uh, Larry King, and so one thing that Larry King told him about interviewing, which is really connecting here, is that he said the reason that I I get good results with my interviewees is that I am very comfortable in my seat, and the person I'm interviewing then kind of picks up on that, and then they are comfortable in their seat. So in a way, it matters less about what style and uh, specific approach and tactics and questions you you choose so much as as you get in that groove of, hey, I'm really comfortable and safe and having fun and rolling with this. And then the person that you're interacting with feels that too. And then you naturally just have a pretty cool, fun, insightful conversation flowing from that.
2: Exactly. It's massive, isn't it? And what it takes is the awareness to take yourself into safety. You know, when he's got people shouting in his ear and, you know, people telling him they're running out of time and some some of the lights have gone, you know, he's got all sorts of reasons to feel stressed and unsafe and the professional is able to switch that on. That's the success factor.
1: Well said. Okay, well, oh, Caroline, this is so much good stuff. So so we've got some key things to do in terms of, of finding that safety, retuning into sensation, doing some humming or some singing, connecting to that resonance. Are there some things that you recommend we we stop doing? Things that we should cut out of our speaking, of our lives before we get into the speaking that make a world of difference in, in terms of, of this confidence.
2: I'm thinking of what I've cut out and what have I cut out. I've really cut out the things that make me too speedy because it's hard to project a sense of safety when you've had three cups of coffee, when you're slightly late for a meeting, when you're rushing, when you're not making time. And so the thing that I now know is that if I want to show up centered and able to make people feel safe and able to connect, I need to just carve out ideally half an hour, 15 minutes is good, five will do it, where I turn off my phone, where I switch off the Googling and switch off the thinking about other things. And I just come back to my feet are on the floor, my bum is on the chair, the air is on my face. What does this person want from me today? How can I help? And if I take myself through that, that is a protocol. <laughs> Get present, quieten down. How can I help? I have good meetings. If I don't make time for that, I don't have good meetings.
1: Yeah, you know, I, I like that. But it's, it's funny as I'm reminded of a time I had a meeting with somebody who, um, you know, I, I had done a lot of work for him, but almost never interacted with him personally. So it was it was kind of a, a big deal, if you will, that, that I was having this this meeting, it was a phone call. And because we were going to pursue maybe some new projects, initiatives, which would have revenue potential for both of us. So I was excited because the stakes were up there. And I remember when at the beginning of the the meeting, we were talking and he said something like, okay, so um, let's see, what are we talking about here? Oh yes, we're discussing the da-da-da-da-da. And, and what was intriguing is in a way, I somehow felt comforted by that, as opposed to pissed off, like, dude, you, you're totally unprepared for, for why Aren't you ready to like rock and roll and jump in and do this? You know, time is ticking. We've got a short time, you know, uh, in, in a way, you know, I, I could have had that kind of a reaction, but instead what was clear to me is that he was totally comfortable. Just beat himself and talk in his mind and, and not sort of, you know, withholding anything from me. And I actually felt more comfortable and safe and, and positive about him in the meeting If if he would have gone hard charging, like, okay, there's six key points we need to cover. And the first is this.
2: (laughs) It's the meta state that matters more, isn't it? It was his ease that was more important than his perfect deck of slides. Yeah. And we forget that. When we get nervous and we've all done it, we think, I have to prepare. I have to get all of my collateral looking perfect. And some people that does matter. But for most people, it's back to the meta state of, do you make them feel comfortable can they trust you do they get a sense that you trust yourself because confidence means to trust yourself faith in yourself and so this is always it's the thing we forget about but it's the thing that matters
1: most excellent well caroline tell me anything else you want to make sure to mention before we shift gears and hear quickly about a few of your favorite things
2: the thing i'm saying to people all the time is stand up if you are doing a presentation currently in video conference land which is going to be here for a few years if you're nervous stand up
1: okay perfect all right stand up i have a sit to stand desk that i'm currently sitting at so i'm a little ashamed and you can see me sitting <laughs>
2: <laughs> but it's you know it would be more for the big pitch or the big presentation or you know talking to the executive committee the things that you know this is your sweet spot you you are at ease doing this if you suddenly had to go and pitch to a big film company or something, then I would say stand up because you will
1: feel more confident. I tend to stand when it's it's just sort of like my body's in a standing mood. <laughs> so I like having that option or it's like, well, oh, I'm getting a little sleepy. I should not get comfy. I should I should stand up and, and have a little bounce. So yeah, today, well, right now we're in sitting mode. Maybe next interview standing, but certainly sort of high stakes situations and you want to project those good things. Great tip to do the standing. When you're looking for advice, there's a useful app I use when I want that great advice from the very best thinkers fast. It's my secret weapon for learning new things and getting ahead because it can often be hard to find the time to sit down to read and learn more. If you don't have that free time, you might think you can't read or work on personal development, But in fact, there is an incredible app that solves this problem. I highly recommend it. It's called Blinkist. Blinkist is really unique. It works on your phone, your tablet, or your web browser. And Blinkist takes the best key takeaways, those need-to-know chunks of information from thousands of nonfiction books, and then condenses them into just 15-minute increments that you can read or listen to. Successful people are well-known for reading a bunch of books, and Blinkist makes it way easier for busy people like us who want to get the main points of a book quickly, so you can start using that information right away. With its audio feature, Blinkist makes it easy to finish a whole book during your commute, on your lunch break, or while you're exercising. Twelve million people are using Blinkist right now. I'm one of them. And Blinkist has a massive and growing library from self-help, business, health to history books. Blinkist has the latest titles from bestseller lists, as well as classic nonfiction titles you've maybe always meant to read but have never quite gotten around to it. I like using Blinkist to provide something to listen to instead of watch when I'm falling asleep. It's just the perfect length of time to go through a whole book, right, during that period of, hey, I'm lying down, but I'm not quite fully sleepy yet, to, oh, that's complete, and now I'm sleepy. So just perfect. They've got a huge selection from books, including The 4-Hour Workweek, to Managing Up by our very own podcast guest, Mary Abajay. With Blinkist, you get unlimited access to read or listen to a massive library of condensed nonfiction books. All the books you want for a low, low price. And right now, for a limited time, Blinkist has a special offer for us. If you go to Blinkist.com slash awesome, you can try it free for seven days and get 25% off of the premium subscription. That's Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T Blinkist.com slash awesome to start your free seven-day trial and get that 25% off, but only when you go to Blinkist.com slash awesome. So now can you share a favorite quote, something you find inspiring?
2: I love the Fritz Perls quote, fear is excitement without the breath. I think that sums up pretty much what I've learned over the last 20 years, that you can flip fear into excitement if you become self-aware of breath and body.
1: Oh, thank you. And how about a favorite book?
2: I mean, a voice coach in the UK has to mention Cicely Berry, because she is, was, she died last year, the goddess of voice work. So any of Cicely Berry's books, I recommend. She's brilliant. Oh, thank you. I'm talking about her in the present tense because she hasn't really gone in my mind.
1: (laughs) And how about a favorite tool, something you use to be awesome at your job?
2: For a long time, neuro-linguistic programming was really, really fundamentally useful. And in the last few years, um, Alexander Technique has replaced it. I love Alexander Technique.
1: Okay. And is there a particular nugget you share that really seems to connect and resonate with folks? They quote it back to you often.
2: The how can I help principle as a way to walk into a meeting and switch off your nerves and turn them into excitement is powerful. Not worrying, how do I look? Is this any good? What do they think about me? But how can I help these people get what they need? That's a game changer. And I was taught it by the actor Bill Nye, The science guy? He's the guy in love, actually, with the glasses,
1: Bill Nye the science guy.
2: Uh, No, no, there's two Bill Nye's. Yes, I wish it was that Bill Nye, but it's not. It's um, Bill Nye is a British actor who's in Love Actually and all sorts of, he's in Pirates of the Caribbean, Google him, but it's N-I-G-H-Y.
1: Okay, okay.
2: And he said, when I get nervous and I go into an audition or I go into a film set on the first day, I can either be paranoid or I can think, how can I help? How can I help these people do the job? It's a game changer. Just try it. When you get nervous, it flips everything.
1: And if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them?
2: My website, G-O-Y-D-E-R G-O-Y-D-E-R.com. And do
1: you have a final challenge or call to action for folks looking to be awesome at their jobs?
2: You may never have thought about your voice at work, apart from maybe sometimes when it shakes or it squeaks or it doesn't sound like you want it to. But my invitation to you would be to start to notice your voice and to start to notice when you're at your best and to start to be curious about how you can bring that ease and that power to moments where you feel nervous. Because I promise you that if you find that ease and power in moments where you feel nervous, you will skyrocket your career.
1: Well, Caroline, this has been a treat, thank you. I wish you much luck and inspiration in all of your adventures.
2: Thank you so much, Pete. It's been a great chat. It's made me think as well, which is always good. (laughs)
1: boy, so much good stuff from Caroline here. What really stuck with me is the posture and the resonance. And I can just, it's its so easy to forget and to not do. I've had a history of slouching in my life. <laughs> and I've really noticed as I'm speaking currently, I am feeling the resonance in my body and it's coming through. And then hopefully the, you can hear that over there as opposed to hey, I'm kind of hunched over here and I don't feel as much resonance flowing uh, as opposed to how I did last time. And maybe you're feeling something different as well. So the the hunched over versus not hunched over and resonant, are are you really flowing there? I think it makes a world of difference, not only for the people who listen to you, but just how you feel in terms of being energized and uh, and raring to go versus, is this day over yet? I'm exhausted. <laughs> so great stuff from Caroline. Hopefully your posture, your resonance, your confidence, your flow is going to get a big old upgrade from Caroline. Again, the show notes, the transcript, the links to items we've referenced are at awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP592. If you haven't already, I recommend you push subscribe. we got Patty Azzarello coming up next. She has cracked the code on why some hardworking people rise, they advance, they progress in their careers, and others just don't. So she'll demystify that and give you some practical stuff you can use to rise all the faster. Hope to catch you there. Peace.
0: Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job. Look around. You can find cars like these on Autotrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Autotrader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.